Well, I wonder if we could um, turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 1, and then um, turning over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and reading from verse 8. So Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, if uh, you get one, you can put your finger in the, the other one. And we read from Acts chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 8 of the chapter. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless, even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well, for they have used the office of a deacon, they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. We know the Lord will add again his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to thee in our Saviour's precious name, and we do thank thee for uh, the uh, work that is done in the church. We thank thee that thou art the great head and uh, only king of the church, and we do thank thee for thy building of the church, and we thank that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so, our Father, be with us in this corner of thy vineyard. We pray that thou wouldst draw near to us and direct and give wisdom 
even in these incoming days. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now we're um, thinking about the election of committee that is coming up. It's a scriptural practice. And we see the scriptural office of a deacon that we have um, read about here. We tend to, uh, in many of our churches, speak about our deacons as committee men. Some of the churches, particularly in America, will uh, refer to the board of deacons. Maybe that's a more scriptural terms, term, but nevertheless, it's the same thing. Um, and we think about the office of a deacon as it is described in the Word of God. Brian Harbour, uh, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Richardson, Texas, told the story about a little girl who had been in the Sunday school and somebody asked her what she had been learning and she has said that she had been learning about how the Lord had uh, been, uh, he, she had been, he'd been healing the sick, sick and casting out the deacons. And of course, there are many people who think that would be a good idea to cast out the deacons, but I don't think it is really because we think of how they are a scriptural office that is given. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we read, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. And there you have the composition of a New Testament church. You have the saints, who are the uh, born-again members, saints. When it says saints, uh, the term is holy one. We're not holy except through conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see that it is a born-again membership, uh, the saints. And then also bishops. Bishops is the same term. Bishop is overseer. You, you read in the Bible how the term bishop and the term elder is used interchangeably. Um, and the elders are the pastor teachers as well as the uh, ruling elders. And then you have the deacons, or the, as we refer to them, as committee. So there you have the organization of a New Testament church. Bishops or elders or the leaders of the church, the pastor, the shepherd, the overseer, all of those terms can be used. Elder, of course. Deacons are another office in the church, and that's going to be our subject this morning. The Greek word is diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. 30 times that word is used in the New Testament. 26 of those uh, times the word diakonos is translated servant. And just the other four, it is translated just as deacon, is given as deacon as the office. So you can see the very fundamental thought about a deacon, a servant of the church. And we think about how that particular office is to be a servant of the church and to work in the midst of the church. But today we want to think about the scriptural teaching about the office of a, a deacon so that we are able to uh, think about this scripturally as we come to this important election that we have. And first of all then, I want us to think about the start of the diaconate, if we call it that, and that's what we read about there in Acts chapter 6. 
You read there in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, about the time when the number of the disciples was multiplied. There were, it speaks about Grecians there. Now, Grecians there really is people that spoke the Greek language, not just Greek people, but other people from uh, Asia Minor and all that. Um, really, it speaks about Gentiles. But the, the, the church had grown, it had flourished, and we read here that there was a little bit of murmuring that entered in between the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts, and the Gentile converts thought that their widows were being treated less well than the Jewish widows. And there might have been reason for that. There might have been uh, justification for that. We don't know. But it seems here that we have a problem that is identified. And so they have to do something about this. As the apostles were preaching here, there is a problem that arises. And you can see even in the very early church, there are problems that arise. We are, uh, in, uh, we are imperfect people, and therefore sometimes we jar on one another and we get jealous of one another, and we think of how the devil sometimes will use that as an attack. Now, the devil had been attacking the church. He had been attacking the church from without at the start. We think of how he had stirred up Herod, uh, to take James, and then he was going to take Peter. He had put James to death, and he was going to put Peter to death. And there was this storm from without, the attack from without, the persecution. But that didn't really work, because when there is persecution and attack from without, it tends to bring the people of God together. And we thought about uh, in history how that the uh, seed of the martyr, or the uh, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church only grew as it was persecuted. And so the devil thought, I'll do another tactic. I'll have problems or storms from within. And we read about this problem amongst the Grecian widows and the Jewish widows that were in the church. And there's no greater problem than that which comes from within. And again, you can see the way that it's, um, the whole problem arises over a little thing. And how often that's the way that it happens in a church. It's just something small. Um, they had these meals. As the church grew, they had these meals together. It was helping the fellowship together. But in the meals, somehow, the Grecian widows felt that they were being hard done by. And so there is this problem that arises here. There's a complaint. Uh, good Jews probably uh, were Aramaic speaking and they had a firm prejudice against the Grecians who weren't Jews and probably there was something of that. The old prejudices maybe lingered a little bit. But notice the solution of the apostles. They didn't want a division in the fledgling church. That would have been disastrous. And so they decided that they would get men who would be servants of the church. They, they said it is not reason that we should leave um, the, uh, the word of God and serve tables. So the reason, the rule of being a deacon at the very start, being a committee, it's not an honorary position. It's a position of service. 
It's a position of work. And I want you to see that. Those who are elected to the committee need to be prepared to work, as they do. And the primary job of the deacon is to allow the session, to allow the minister the time to pray. Now prayer, you know prayer in your life, I'm sure you can identify with it as I do, is a very hard thing. Now it's the easiest thing in the world. We can pray anywhere. We can lift up our hearts to God in prayer anywhere. In theory, it ought to be the easiest thing that you ever do. But you know, you know how hard it is. You know, when it comes to the time of prayer, maybe you'll put it off. Or when, when you are praying, you find that the whole thoughts of tomorrow and what you're going to do tomorrow begin to enter in and you get distracted in the place of prayer. But of course, prayer is the most vital thing for the church. We can't go forward without prayer. We can't go forward without seeking the face of God. And your minister, your session members need to be people of prayer. We need to be praying for the church. We need to be seeking God for the church. We need to be uplifting it and supplicating God and interceding before God for the church and for each of the members of the church. And so we need time to pray. And the job uh, primarily of the committee is to look after the affairs of the church so that uh, the minister, the session members, aren't uh, uh, thinking about those things all the time or th that they're not having to run here and there looking for the ordinary things of the church. So we'll have time to pray. But not only do I want you to see the problem identified, but look at the procedure adopted. They say to the people of the church um, there, he, he says, they say to them, uh, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And then we read in verse 5, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So you'll notice how this was done. The people elected them. They instructed the church to come together, and they chose the men from among them who would take care of the needed business. So that's what we're going to be doing on uh, Wednesday. We're coming together. They, these were men full of the Holy Ghost. They were to be spiritual men. Even though their job primarily was practical, they needed to be spiritual. They needed to be men who were full of the Holy Ghost. They were men who had an interest in the things of God. We'll come to this in a bit. But one of the questions the presbytery asks about committee men when we have an examination by presbytery is their attendance at the prayer meeting. So that is something primary. We need our committee to be attenders at the prayer meeting. So that's something that is foundational. We'll see that they are men full of the Holy Ghost. But then I want you to see, not only do we see here 
the start of the diaconate, but I want you to see the service of the deacons. The name deacon, as we say, simply means servant. And every child of God is to be a servant, of course. But these are to be servants in a special way. And you'll notice what they're involved in if you look at Acts chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you'll see, first of all, primarily, they are uh, safeguarding the stuff, if we put it like that. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 speaks of the daily ministration. In other words, the day-by-day things, the things that uh, are ordinary day-by-day things. So it's obvious that the deacons were appointed to look after what are called the um, daily ministrations and also the widows. They were to look after the widows. In other words, they were to be involved in charitable giving. Now, that was the first thought of the office. They were to look after the widows. Now, we live in a day when there are many uh, government uh, bodies that will provide uh, charity or give people benefits or whatever it is that they have. But we need to remember that one of the first functions of the church is to support its members. Now, I think I've said to you before, I know that when we think about, you know, somebody's in need, maybe uh, you've lost your job, maybe you're sick for a long time, and the cupboard is running bare, we today don't really think automatically about going to the church. Indeed, I would say that most people would be, uh, think themselves, to, they, they would think that I, I'm not looking for charity. I, I'm not going to be a charity case. And maybe you think that, that this is something that you shouldn't do, is to go to the church to be helped. But it is. It is one of the functions of the church to help its members. And if you you are in problems or you are in difficulties in this day of financial crisis, well, don't be afraid to come to the church. And don't be ashamed to come to the church. It's not a thing of shame. You can see here how that God provided this in the church. uh, And we will help you as we can. Now, we're not running over with funds or anything like that. But we would, we would help you. And it speaks here of the daily ministration and looking after the uh, widows. We have done it in the past. And, it, of course, we don't make it known. But we have done it in the past. And we do commend that to you if you ever come to that point. And we, we as God's people, are in fellowship together. We are brethren and sisters and we do help one another. But that is the, that you can see that there, that the uh, deacons there were to look after the administration for the widows. So we safeguard the stuff as deacons, and then we support the minister. The deacons support the ministry. We've already seen how they are to give themselves uh, the session, the minister. They are to give themselves to prayer. And so you can see that the uh, deacons are looking after now what has become really the practical affairs of the church. They look after the money. They look after the material 
uh, of the church. Make sure that uh, the heating's on. Make sure that uh, the place is uh, up to spec and make sure that we are uh, fulfilling all of the laws that there are around us and make sure that we're comfortable and that it's a place where God's word can be preached and that we can get the word out to as far and wide as we can. And if we have funds, that we invest them wisely and make sure that the money is used wisely. All of those things, those practical things, uh, we are to do and we are to look after all of those things in the work of God. We are to make sure that we are good stewards in the work of God. And that's something that we do as we serve the Lord in this day. But one more thing that I want you to see, not only have we the start of the diaconate, and we have something here of the service of the deacons, but I want you to see the spirituality of the deacons. Now turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're looking now at the qualifications of deacons. And I want you to see, if you read the whole of 1 Timothy 3, if we had done that, you would see that the qualifications of deacons are very much like the qualifications of an elder. There, is, there are spiritual qualifications here, and we said that 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 says, let these also be proved. And that is a direct command. Uh, the person is to be tried and to be appointed as they have been tried by these criteria so that they live up to what the Word of God has to say here. And we have to prove those and that they be faithful in the work of God in some capacity or other. That's part of the qualifications, that they are proved. But let's look at the qualifications as they are set out here. And first of all, I want you to see the moral qualifications. Acts chapter 6 says that the deacon is to be of honest report. Now that's something that is obvious when you think about the role of the work. The deacons are in charge of the money. They're in charge of the goods. So they need to be honest. And if you look in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, where Timothy gives the list of the qualifications of a deacon, in verse 8 he says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, we live in a day of money, a day of materialism and all the rest of it, uh, and we strive above everything else to be honest in our dealings. Uh, we need to be up and, uh, straight up and down in our dealings. And uh, the word in uh, Greek here, uh, where it speaks about the deacons, speaks about having them having a good testimony. And that simply just means honest. So that's the first thing. It's an obvious thing. I think, I think, I think we can say about the, the folks, but uh, you can see it there in black and white. The second qualification, uh, or really the first one that is given here in 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy 3, grave. Now, that might surprise you as the first one that is given, grave. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean that they're serious and somber all the time. 
But what it does mean is that they take things seriously. Uh, they, they don't conduct business in a flippant way or an offhand way or they, they don't just, it's, it's sort of a hobby. No, it's taken seriously. Uh, he should be thinking about advancing the work of God and seeing it go forward. Now, we need to remember the difference between the office of an elder and the office of a deacon. The elders are those that are looking after the spiritual affairs. The deacons are looking after the physical material affairs. And we have to keep the two separate. And we need to do that. Uh, sometimes the committee men think that they can enter into the business of the eldership, but that's not the case. But we need those who are grave, serious. Take it seriously. And then a deacon is not double-tongued, verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3. And that is a qualification of a deacon that doesn't occur, surprisingly, among the elders. So a deacon particularly is not to be double-tongued. In other words, to speak out of two sides of your mouth or uh, to speak one thing to one person and another thing to another person. It's another, it's another aspect of honesty, that we're open, honest with people. These men were straight talkers. A deacon who went from house to house dealing with those who were in need needed to be a straight man, speak straightly. He doesn't uh, uh, speak one thing here and another thing there, not double-tongued. Psalm 15, verse 4, he says, He that sweareth to his own hurt uh, 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 and changeth not. And that's what we need to be in this day. Not only the deacons, but each one of us. Then a deacon is not given to much wine. Now, we noticed when we were looking at the epistle to Titus, and when we were looking at Timothy too, that always, always, in every list of qualifications, whether it's for widows, whether it's for older women, younger women, older men, elders, uh, deacons, every list has sober, not given to much wine, all of these things. The alcohol of today is much, much stronger than they had in those days. And we have that qualification of abstention, abstention from uh, alcoholic drink. Because, of course, if you're given to alcohol, then you are given, really, you are liable to make all sorts of wrong decisions. So, but it's not just for the deacons and the elders, but it's for every part of the church. That's something that is emphasized time and time and time again. And then it says that the elder should be uh, blameless. Um, he is to be a person, in verse 10, being found blameless. Indeed, when you think about that word there, blameless, it means not open to attack or censure. In other words, they have a good testimony out there. When people look at them, by and large, they have a good reputation. They don't have a reputation for evil. So there are the moral qualifications. 
And they look at the spiritual qualifications. Acts chapter 6 says, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we regard being filled with the Holy Spirit as being an unusual thing. But it is something that should be true of every child of God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The command is, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Again, drink. Don't drink. But be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. The fundamental meaning of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with the joy of God. It says in Acts 13 and 20, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Have you a joy in your heart? Is there that joy of sins forgiven? Have you that, uh, we, are, we have said, grieved, but also filled with joy? Joy in believing. Joy in your walk with God. Joy in the presence of God day by day. We need to be filled with joy. And then it says, not only filled with the Holy Ghost, but filled with wisdom. Wisdom speaks more than more than intelligence, includes intelligence. But we could say more like common sense. Wisdom is the ability in the Bible to bring something from the beginning to the end. To know something about everything, as it were. To be able to... Uh, not only uh, do one task, but to be able to see the whole picture. That's wisdom. And we need men of wisdom. People who see the whole picture. People of common sense. Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Men who have practical abilities then, practical knowledge, who are able to uh, do things practically. And then notice the next thing, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith there, of course, is the gospel. It's the word of God. And we need to have people who have a knowledge of the word of God. We need to have people who have a knowledge of the things of God. Once again, you can see the underlining of the spiritual qualifications. And then it comes to the family qualifications. He say, it says in 1 Timothy 3, the husband of one wife, that means that he's male. But I want you to see that there is also an emphasis on the wife of a deacon. Look at verse 11, even so must their wives be grieved, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. The deacons must have faithful wives not story bearers or slanders, because that causes all sorts of problems in the church. The deacon's wife is not to be evil-spirited or gossipy or whatever it is. Uh, it's like the young man who asked, was asked if his father had any last words, and he said, no, my mother was with him to the end. And we need to make sure that uh, the wives then are those that ha fit the qualifications. And the children, the children of a deacon, can't be out of control. Now, you know that children growing up will go through phases and all the rest of it. But look at verse 12. Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. Sometimes people go through 
uh, phases, children go through phases of rebellion, all the rest of it, and we know all of that. But you can see what the Word of God sets out. We think of what it said, God said about Abram in Genesis 18 and 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he hath spoken unto him. So we notice then something of the, uh, the uh, spirituality of the deacons. Let, let me just very briefly, because my time is gone, speak about the satisfaction of deacons. Because First Timothy 3 verse 13 says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a, a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So there is a blessing there. Now the first blessing is a standing. Where it speaks about a good degree, uh, the original word is a step. You get a step up, as it were. Now, maybe people think, well, is that right? Being a step above other Christians. And it isn't a step in the sense of our standing before God, but it is a step in our honor. You, you say, is it an honor before men or an honor before God? Well, I think it's both. We, we uh, purchase to ourselves, it says, a good degree. We have honor before men and we have honor before God. And that isn't sinful. Um, the Bible speaks about those who are proud and sometimes people uh, are looking for a position in order to get an honor and uh, just to have that honor of being in the position. If you're looking uh, to be a deacon for that reason, then that's the wrong reason. The honor comes from the fact that you serve God, that you are seeking to advance the kingdom of God. That's the honor that you get. So there's a standing that you get, but there's also a spirit, a spirit because it speaks here of great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For they that have used the office of deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now what does that mean? How do you get boldness? How do you get confidence in being a deacon? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you begin to see God working. You begin to see God answering prayer. You begin to see God bringing things together. As you're in any aspect of the work of God and you're seeking to serve the Lord, you begin to see God at work in the midst of that and you begin to see God answering prayer in the midst of that and that gets you confidence. You have confidence in God. You have confidence in what God can do. You have confidence in the word of God as it goes forth. And you get this boldness. And you're able to go to greater things and better things. Because God gives you boldness in what you are doing. So there is this blessing, this satisfaction that you get in the office. Now, of course, uh, being in any office, there are difficulties and times when maybe... Uh, finances aren't as great as they were before, or uh, there's a maybe uh, something goes wrong, something maybe collapses in the church or whatever, and you have to deal with that. But 
nevertheless, we think of the blessing of serving God in this day and generation. And oh, as we see the committee elected on Wednesday night, may we see men who, uh, as much as we can possibly do, uh, adhere to the qualifications that are set out in God's precious word. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our time is gone. We'll not sing the last hymn. But let's just close and let us ask God that he might direct us even in these incoming days. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for setting out these qualifications that we have in the word of God. And we pray that thou wouldst enable us, not only those that are in the office, but each one of us may live up to these uh, great spiritual qualifications and that we might see the blessing of God as we enter into the work of God. Bless us now, part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety, watch over us and be with us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.